Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hi, Archons. Welcome to Help from Future Self, a conversational KeyForge podcast recorded by and for KeyForge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined by my KeyForge chums and my KeyForge teammates. We got the Wheeling KeyForger, Rick. Hey, what's up, all? And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, hey, hey. And the three of us are here today because just this past weekend, we held the very first, the inaugural Help from Future Self Invitational Keyforge Tournament, where we got together 18 players plus ourselves and played just a mess of Keyforge in a bunch of different formats. It was so cool. We had such a great time. And that's basically what this whole episode is going to be about. Are you guys as psyched to talk about this as I am? I definitely am, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And give a shout out to uh, our man Scrowner for uh, sending us those boxes that we were able to use for this. Uh, really appreciate you, man, and uh, your support of the podcast. Thank you. Big shout out to Scrowner. Everybody was so appreciative of uh, the, those Keyforge decks that we all got to use. And we'll talk a little bit about what happened to the decks after the tournament, because this was 100% sealed across the board, which made for a very interesting dynamic. But I don't want to get too deep in the weeds, because if we're starting off an episode, you know we've got to do one of our segments. And I'm really excited about this one. It's one that I came up with that I think has a lot of interesting uh, things to consider with regards to how a decision would go. We're going to play Would You Rather. Uh, so for those of you who have never played Would You Rather before with us, it is a question of, given everything else in the deck being the same, which of these cards would you rather have? So what I'm going to go with here is one that occurred to me the other day. Would you rather have in your deck E on the Fringes or Swindle? So let me quickly go over these. E on the fringes is a disc creature. It's one power, no armor. It's elusive, so it might stick to the board a little bit. And it's extremely convoluted text is, during your turn, after you discard a discard, that is a card from house disc, from your hand, you may purge a discard, once again, a card from house disc, from a discard pile. If you do, steal one. That is some Dr. Seuss stuff right there. Uh, Swindle is an action from House Shadows, it is not present in Worlds Collide, but it was in the Age of Ascension. And it is an Alpha and an Omega card, meaning once you play it, it is the first and last thing you do in your turn. And it is very straightforward, Steel 3. So I got to ask you, gentlemen, and I'm going to start with you, Rick. Which of these two cards would you rather have in your deck and why? Would you rather have E on the Fringes or would you rather have Swindle? I'm learning E on the Fringes because I have it in a deck or two now. And I'm I'm liking it. But strictly for my style and what I like to do, I like to play things that I know and I don't have to think very much. So I'm going to take Swindle every time until I know Eon and is better. It's a guaranteed three amber steel, which is not something you can say about E. E could be a nothing steel, depending on what you have in your hand. Uh, it could be a chain in your hand if you're waiting for cards to use it for stealing, if you're just sitting on it. Blake, what about yourself? Swindle or E on the fringes? Well, I got to go with E on the fringes for... A multitude of reasons. Uh, the first being is because I literally just won a sealed tournament because of Eon the Fringes. <laughs> uh, I beat our man Daniel in a sealed tournament because I actually happened to have Eon the Fringes in hand plus four other discards. Oof. So it was like a perfect swing right at the end of the game where there was no answer. And I really like this card for multiple reasons. One, because if you happen to, like, let's say you only have two discards in your hand. Um, 
I think that E on the fringes creates a more interesting proposition because you have to decide, are these cards more valuable as an ember stolen rather than a card played? So that I think is a very interesting thing, and I like the complexity of that. And then as well, you also have the ability to use any other disc creatures that exist within the board prior to mm-hmm. E coming down. So that means that it's not the only thing you can do, which Swindle means it's the only thing you can do. So it gives you more uh, flexibility on your turn in terms of things you can do. And lastly, the reason why I like it is because if you happen to be going against another disc deck, you can then purge an Infernus or a Hysteria or something else that's in disc that you really don't want to see anymore. Like any of those other cards that are problematic, it gives you the that extra utility when you're in somewhat of a mirror match with the disc lineup. So I really like it because it just had so many more levels to, to the options that you can carry out in a turn. And so uh, I think on the on the over-under, I think you're probably getting two steel on average, I would say. So uh, it's it's less than than you're getting out of Swindle, but I think the terms of longevity and for some reason, if they can't deal with the E, then you're getting a, a more longitude out of the card in general. I got to say, um, having been boned by Swindle on numerous occasions, you'll never catch me overlooking that card ever again. A three amber swing, actually a six amber swing, because you're taking away three amber from me and giving three amber to yourself is nothing to scoff at. It can be the difference between winning or losing a game. But I'm an E on the fringes, man, and I'll tell you why. Blake, every argument you made is one that I would have made myself if I had been posed the question. Two additional ones. First of all, in any deck with archiving, it is so easy to set yourself up for a good E on the fringes turn. If you've got some solid archiving, let's say you've got Information Officer's Gray or any other cards that are going to allow you Library to do- Library of the Damned. Library of the Damned in Dis, it's going to let you set up those big steel turns so you can deploy it when and where it makes sense to deploy it. I think that that's fantastic, and I have a couple decks that make the most of it. Another point, double- uh, E on the fringes, if you come across that in a deck, that's discard a card, purge two cards, steal two. So you can actually, if you're playing, uh, uh, you know, if you're willing to get rid of a bunch of your own discards, it, it can actually be a lot of steal very quickly in those scenarios. Lastly, thinning out your own deck is actually super good and advantageous if you're playing a longer, grindier kind of game. Being able to come back to many other things, because there's a lot of disc creatures I'm not super fussy about in Worlds Collide. You've got your Ederomes, you got your Dendrixes. They're fine, but would I throw them away, get them out of my deck, and get a steal out of it? In a lot of cases, I 100% would. Let's also bring up the fact that if you have a handful of discards and you're getting rid of them, unlike Swindle, you're going to be drawing more next turn, which I think is, of course, hugely advantageous. So I go E on the fringes all the way. Yeah, that's solid. I like those extra points you added. Yep, definitely. All right, let's get down to it. This past weekend, as we mentioned on Saturday, 21 of Vancouver's Archons, including the three of us, got together for the Help from Future Self Invitational Team Tournament. Uh, It was a lot of effort to uh, put it together, I think, just because the nature of a team tournament means that people cannot drop off at the last minute or a team is then short a member. And the format that we wanted to run was, I believe, one that you uh, decided upon, Blake. And it was modeled after some of the side events at some of the vault tours. And the idea was that each team gets issued six sealed decks, two from Worlds Collide, four from Coda, and then they would have to choose 
one deck for each player on the team to play in a different format. What were the formats, Blake? So we had one which was uh, an adaptive and one which was regular sealed Archon and then one lastly which was sealed reversal, which we've talked about, which means you... In, in all these, we made it so that the deck list was not privileged to the opponent. So for adaptive, we've played it, I've played it both ways where if you win, you get to see the list, but we played this where even if you won, you only got to see the houses still and we're drawing into the deck. And then of course for reversal, you just shuffle up the deck, pass it to your opponent and they figure it out as they play. Absolutely. Um, we saw a lot of very interesting dynamics based on those decisions. Um, one rule that we decided upon sort of a game day decision was that if folks within a team wanted to swap which of the decks they were playing, they could, like they could play a different deck. But once you decided on your three decks at the beginning of the day, you had to stick with them. Your reversal deck was your reversal deck. Your sealed adaptive deck was your sealed adaptive deck. Your solo archon deck was your solo archon deck and so on. Um, I'm going to throw it to you guys to introduce some of our decks. Uh, let's start off with you, uh, Rick. You were playing our Archon Sealed Solo deck. What were you playing? The deck that I played was Wonder T Volco Quick, the second. It was Dis Saurian and Star Alliance. It had a uh, double Sensor Chief Garcia. It had a Captain Belgerico. In, in Saurian, it had a triple tribute. And in Dish, it had a triple draining touch that I quite enjoyed playing. <laughs> that is an interesting nice. tool set. And Blake, you uh, and I co-piloted both the reversal and the sealed adaptive decks. Uh, why don't you introduce us to what we used for reversal? So for reversal, we were playing uh, Griffith of Goldville. And we kind of were feeling we didn't choose a good deck, but after we loaded all the decks into DOK, it was the lowest ranked deck out of all the decks of the day. So I guess we chose correctly. Um, I guess the the highlights for this is it's it's a Brobnar Sanctum Shadows. And the reason why this one was chosen was because it had a low creature count with only 10 Ember Pips. So we were hoping that that would work out. Um, unfortunately, I think we only won one reversal game. But um, I mean... Part of it is in Brobnar, it had a double loot the body, Smith, uh, Tremor, Auto Cannon, Cannon, and not a lot of creatures. So it's it kind of like you couldn't really use those loot the bodies. So that was a thing. But unfortunately, in the other two houses, Shadows and Sanctum, it had quite a bit of Ember Control, which proved uh, problematic at times. Not only that, a pile of skulls, which I completely like underestimated the impact it would have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the deck that I uh, or that we both played for Sealed Adaptive was Sea Fireflight, the Manor Warlock. It is an old school coda, Dis Mars Shadows, Restring Guntis deck. And when I say it's OG, it felt gross to play this a lot of the time. Um, it had Double it. Arise. It had Restring Guntis. It had a nice little suite of disc creatures to go with those Arises in the Restring Guntis. Uh, plus that in Mars, it had some decent control in terms of Ammonia Clouds. It had a great tick trick where you could deep probe and then see what people were holding in their hand and know for the next turn if you want to drop the Restring Guntis where you were going to put it. Um, the ability to archive off the board with Vesmia Thinkdrome. And then just a really nice suite of Shadows cards, including Fagin and Double Urchin. So just uh, across the board, it ended up being very effective. I think we only lost one game with it of the six rounds that we played with it. And yeah, just it, it felt nasty because that Restring Guntis lockout was always looming and it was just a constant threat that we could keep recurring throughout the game um it was a super fun deck to play yeah it was it was amazing i loved playing that deck it was so much fun 
Especially too, where I don't think either of us have ever spent a lot of time with Restoring Guntis as a thing. Like, is that? Do you oh, have it I in have, any decks? Yeah, that was my my adaptive prime deck had Restoring Guntis, so I've I've had, but not like this. this the having the arise with it is uh is very potent. What about yourself, Rick? You ever spend any time with Restoring Guntis? I think I have or had. I may have traded it one deck, but I don't remember. I yeah. guess when we go through the spreadsheet, we will find out. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do a little. We're gonna do a little uh, cataloging of uh, Rick's collection and see if we can figure out if there's some uncovered gems in there that we haven't looked at yet. But the first thing that the day started with was once all the teams got together, they sat down, they opened up their decks, and they had to decide on which decks they were having. Then the decks that weren't chosen got put aside so that whatever team had the buy in each round, because we had seven teams of three people, so only six teams could be playing at any given time. But they could play like three player or two player keyforge with whatever decks weren't chosen for the day which i thought was a nice feature for the buy like give people something to do if they want to play they can play if they don't want to play they can just hang out and eat snacks or whatever but how did you find the experience rick of playing that archon deck i think we all mutually agreed based on the suite that it has you know all of the different things that seemed very obviously great about it captain val jericho the sensor chief garcia's the double first officer frames for control quadricorder tribune pompatus with three tributes all those not finished with you all those draining touches and things like it just felt super consistent did you find that you were struggling with it a little bit or did you find that it was flowing out onto the table i found it that i was struggling cuz i at least definitely recently i'm used to playing the more the faster the more ember generation decks so i just found this a bit slow and just didn't generate enough ember it did well on the controlling the ember but it just itself didn't generate did you have a look at the stats on this one blake yeah i believe i've i remember looking at it. i was i was pretty impressed with it although I, although it was lower than i was expecting i thought yeah. it was going to be a bit higher yeah, 68 SAS seems low for it for me, but it only has like 15 expected amber. Um, yeah. It has a nice 12 in amber control, which I think is very accurate. Um, I, I just I've never played this deck, um, but because it was a team based event, one of the rules is that you're allowed to like consult with one another if you're not sure exactly what you want to do, which we'll talk about in a second. But a couple of times when I was sort of looking over at your game state, Rick, it seemed that you could do a lot of capturing amber, but it was hard for you to make use of that amber once it was on your side of the board. And eventually yeah. people would hit like a board clear or something else to get it all back. Is that something that, you were finding that was happening? That happened quite frequently, actually. Yeah. That's uh, one of the big things about uh, the change to the way Amber Control works in Worlds Collide, I find, is that uh, w where we used to have sort of like the fear of shadows stealing everything, now it's the you can raise costs and you can capture Amber, but those don't last forever. They're temporary solutions. So you got to keep rolling and you got to keep having control turn over turn, or else eventually they're going to forge with the Amber that they've generated. Um, speaking of shadows, um, I found that it had been so long since I had played a lot of serious Coda decks, I had lost my fear of shadows, and that screwed me in a lot of games. Did you find that at all? Were you looking for those big shadow steel moments and surprised when they came out? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's why they call him the coach. What about you, Rick? Did anybody pull any old school shadows tricks on you? Actually, I don't remember if I played mostly Coda or mostly Worlds Collide. But I didn't see a lot of the Coda Steel. 
Yeah, I, I feel like looking over at you playing, Rick, you were mainly going against Worlds Collide, like I would say probably 75% of your, your games. Does that right. seem about right? That, yeah, that does definitely seem right. Which is interesting because every person was only given two Worlds Collide decks, so the majority of the decks were uh, Call of the Archon. So interesting to see that people still chose for the straight Archon, the the Worlds Collide sauce. One of the interesting sort of mini-metas that I saw develop over the course of the day was that there were people who actually had a truly bad deck to bring to reversal. And there were people who actually had kind of good decks that they had to choose. Like, because you only had six decks to choose from, you had to choose the worst of maybe a decent lot of decks to be your reversal deck. I pulled off an epic quest in a reversal game, which should be impossible. Like there's yeah. no way somebody should hand you a deck that can pull off an epic quest in a game reversal, but it happened because it was the worst deck that they had access to. I still lost that game, but it felt amazing to do that in a game of reversal. Was that uh, your first time pulling it off? My first time ever pulling it off. I don't have it in any personal decks. I don't think. Man, that's that's just worth the the day is worthwhile just from that alone. Man, I I could I was walking on cloud nine even after I lost because I was like, man, that is a cool achievement in Keyforge yeah. pulling off your first epic quest, especially when you've been playing the game for a little while. Um, what did you find that you were seeing a lot in the sealed adaptive bidding meta, Blake? Because I have my own thoughts on that. I tried to do a few things sometimes where. There was times when I was worried that I like I basically always wanted to pilot our deck like straight up. Mm -hmm. But there was times when I was worried that their deck like the houses didn't really scream to me like, oh, this is really good. So I was worried about choosing their deck. But there was a couple times I might have done it against June. I can't remember when it was like a, a world's collide deck where they had like the really saucy houses of, like present where I actually bid uh, for their deck just to get them on a few chains, just to slow them down, like to get what, just to give them a disadvantage basically moving forward. But I had every intention of playing our deck. I, I mean, tried I think to I even played our deck with eight chains one time too. It's a lot of chains to start with. Yep. Um, I tried to do that a little bit. And then after a while, I just stopped because I wanted to play our deck. And I was like, uh, it backfired on me once and one time I also let somebody have our, our sealed adaptive deck for way too few chains just because I was assuming they were going to hand me some hot fire and what they handed me was actually not great, um, which I thought was an interesting strategy. The old, um, I'm going to bid up your deck until I get it, but I'm handing you garbage, so I'm going to assume that your deck is going to be great even with 10 chains on it or whatever. But I let them have it for way too little and I got stomped with our own Restoring Guntis, which, uh, let me tell you, doesn't feel great. Not my favorite Keyforge experience ever, although it was all in the game. So, you know, yep. you, you can't be mad about it. Um, did you guys find that the length of the tournament weighed on you at all? Because we're playing actually fairly short rounds, 40 minutes straight up, just one single game. Um, I didn't find that most games were going to time, although we usually had one table that had one game going right when the buzzer went off. Um, as opposed to other longer tournaments that we've done with like more than four rounds, I actually felt this one was real easy to play. And I don't know if that was just the camaraderie because we knew everybody, the fact that there was snacks and water and everything else. Did, did you find that this one wasn't as exhausting as some of our other marathon events that we've done? Uh, just to clarify for everyone, we didn't play uh, like a normal Swiss rounds. We actually did a round robin tournament. Mm -hmm. So everyone played against each other and therefore we had seven rounds as a result. And then we just did it based on record. And if there was a tiebreaker, it was who won in their match. And that's how we we settled any tiebreakers to determine the winners of the tournament. 
And um, to answer your question, um, I was starting to come down with a, a cold. So it started at the end. I started to feel it a little bit, but I don't think that was any indication of the actual games. Like they did not feel like the day felt short at the end of it. Let me ask you, and I'm going to start this this question going to you, coach, because you're the coach. Um, was it natural for you to lean over to your buddy on the other side and go, hey, how would you play this? Because I had a really hard time getting past that mental block. Um, normally in a game of Keyforge, I think it's really bad form to like, you know, show other people your hand with the intention of like, give me some advice on this. Um, in fact, I believe it's probably against any kind of reasonable tournament rules. I, I haven't examined the t- uh, tournament rules close enough to be able to say that. But with it being totally permissible in this round, did it come naturally to you to like turn to me or Rick and go like, hey, what do you think of this? Uh, no, like whenever I was unsure, I mean, you remember that one time I did turn to you because I was mm-hmm. unsure about it. That was the only time I was like really not sure. And because you had been playing that deck just as much as I had, I felt like you were definitely a resource where in Rick's case, he was solo piloting that deck the whole day. So he was the most familiar with the cards. You and I actually had the the instance of this one adaptive deck. We had both been playing. So we both had had instances with the card, which was Restaurant mm-hmm. Guntis and Arise. And I actually posed the question to you. I was like, hey, should I, I'm like, I want to go shadows for this. Cause there's so many shadows cards in the discard. And then you're like, no man, go dis, get restaurant Guntis back. And like, I, and I took your advice when you told me this and I did it and it ended up being like the game winning play. It was a Shout lucky out to guess June, on my who got restaurant Guntis locked. Oh dude. Yeah. That was a heartbreaker. She was playing an incredible deck too. Oh my goodness. When we put all the SASs in, I believe that was the one that was the, the highest at like 83 or something ridiculous. It was 84. Like, yeah. It was oh the highest goodness. by a lot. Yeah. That is such a, an amazing deck and it stomped a lot that day. It was really weird for me too, Blake, just because I'm so not used to asking people for advice. So the idea of being like, Blake, what would you do here? And then having you go like, oh no, this is the smart play because of Delta because of you're forcing your opponent to deal with this so that you can advance this. Like those are ways that, you know, I, I always look to you sort of in a sort of after the fact way when I'm asking for advice on how to play a game, but being able to do it in the moment almost felt weird. Like I wasn't used to it, but I also really liked it. I really hope that we can do some more team-based action in the future. Yeah. I mean, I don't see why we can't. I mean, it's just a matter of the problem is again, it's the numbers of getting the even teams and getting groups of three together to make this happen. But I mean, I don't see there's any reason why we couldn't do it. Absolutely not. I am so excited that we were able to have this invitational tournament, that we were able to do all this with our community. And you made this suggestion, Blake, and I thought it was an amazing one. Rather than just like taking the decks and keeping them for our personal collections, every single deck that was used that day got put into a library of Keyforge decks that are available to our own community, which means that there is now a help from future self lending Keyforge deck library that anybody in Vancouver, or if you're visiting Vancouver, if you want to hit us up ahead of time, has access to. You can borrow a deck from that. The one rule we made is that you cannot use those decks for our local store or prime championships. But if you want to take one for reversal, if you want to take one for a chain bound, if you want to borrow one to take to a vault tour or another big event outside of Vancouver, entirely available to the community. And I am so excited that we were able to put that together because it felt like such a good thing that we could offer the community on top of being able to have this fun tournament. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great idea. Like I when I thought of it, I was like, oh, this makes sense. I'm like, I don't want to have more decks in my collection. And this was given to all three of us. So how do we actually parse these out? And I was like, no, let's just keep it together as its own collection. It just makes sense. 
And that way we can just use it and utilize it. And I even want to create some other fun events with them in the future. Like maybe that 84 SAS and the Western Guntis one, we do something where we see how many chains we can possibly get on it as a community, just each piloting it at different times. I'm super excited for that one. Could we, as a community, get one of those decks up to a ridiculous number of chains? Like, could we hit that 20 chain mark? Do you think that's a possibility? We are going to find out. All right. You know that we cannot end off an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment. We call this one... Help Help from Future 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 Self. Blake, have you got a lesson for us to take away Yes, I do. Um, it actually comes from playing the sealed reversal format because it's it's very hard in a vacuum to to look at a deck and decide this one's bad and without actually having played it, which we had to do. And, and we made our decision and like, let's be honest, Alex, we were second guessing our decision the entire day. I think and I said turned, numerous times, I think yeah. you made a mistake. <laughs> and then it turns out we... Yes, exactly. But then when we we put them all in, it was the worst deck that was in the bunch. And if you look at some of the stats, it, it reflected that. But the problem is when you're in that moment, you you can't really dictate it that well. So sometimes stats don't tell everything. And sometimes you can't always choose what is or isn't a bad deck. And so you got to stick by your guns in those instances because we were just left with this proposition of having to make this work. And who knows, maybe we were actually piloting the deck wrong against it. Like that could have been a thing. Maybe we didn't actually identify the true weaknesses of the deck and use it to our advantage. And that's something I actually want to look at. And so the lesson that I learned for myself is even though we did not have the results to show for that deck, there was still the fact that we should have stuck to our guns and started trying to look at the deck from maybe different angles of how to go against it more. Because I think we just kind of kept plowing into it with stuff instead of really identifying the true strategy lines that Mm. would be the weakness for the deck. Because I think they were there and we just kind of uh, didn't exactly utilize those to the fullest extent. So stick to your guns. And when you get to a moment where things aren't going the way you want and you have teammates like we did, it's sometimes good to just regroup and take a moment to uh, rethink strategy and the lines you want to execute. A hundred percent agree. It was such a fun experience. Thank you again to Scrowner. Um, without you, this would not have been possible. It was a wonderful gift to us and a wonderful gift to our community. So shouts out to them. All right. Uh, uh, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash HFFS podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the same address, H at HFFS podcast. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and the Crucible as Scuzzy Gruen. Where can they find you, Rick? On the Crucible at Rickster78 and Wheeling Keyforger on Twitter. Blake, what are your other endeavors people should check out and where can they find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Boulevard Paper Fight. That's BLVD Paper Fight. And you can find me on YouTube. Uh, been sick the past few days, so I haven't been putting much content out there, but there will be more coming soon. And uh, I've just wrote an article about the casual format, keeping it casual, because that's something that we're champions of on Hell from Future Self. And I actually broke down why it's important. So uh, go to Archon's Corner and check out that article. What about a little podcast action with your pal Jupiter? Yeah, and you can catch me on United Archons as well, uh, my competitive Keyforge team I'm a part of. Jupiter and I are usually doing uh, an episode weekly. Sometimes I'm not there, but you can always catch him with an interesting personality. And uh, we got an exciting episode coming in the next couple of weeks as well. Stay tuned. 
Blake, I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. I love that podcast. I've really been enjoying listening to United Archons. I think that some of the strategy stuff that you guys talk about has been really excellent. I like the the tone and the timber of the conversation. I think it's just been a fantastic listen. So keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. All right, friends. That's going to do it for us this week. Until next time, stay fortunate.